Our New Testament reading today is from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 21 to 2, verse 7. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which is so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely, Christ in whom we are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I'm absent from you in body, I'm present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. This is God's word. Father, for those of us who know you, how we long to be mature or perfect in Christ. We certainly long to move towards that, uh, this side of heaven. So please be, be at work amongst us now. We're thrilled to know that Christ lives in us. Please would he be at work in us by his spirit, moving us on towards maturity in him tonight, we pray. Amen. Now let me start by, uh, let's start by uh, eavesdropping on a conversation uh, taking place in about 50 AD between uh, Epaphras, who founded the church in Colossae, and um, a church member, we'll call him, uh, call her Flavia, um, call her Flavia. Uh, so Slavia is the church member, and Epaphras, he's the church founder. We know that from uh, chapter 1 and chapter 4 of Colossians. So Epaphras gets on the throne. Throne. Phone. More coffee. Uh, Epaphras gets on the phone. Hi. Hi, Flavia. Uh, not seen you at church recently. No. Uh, I've decided to stop coming to church. Oh. 
blah blah. Words. That's um, why. What's happened? What, what's taken place? Well, uh, to be honest with you, Epaphras, um, I felt that there was something lacking in my faith. And I've met these other Christians, and they've pointed out to me various things are lacking in my faith. Uh, and they've told me that I, they can take me uh, into higher experiences and, and deeper tr- visions and trances, and, and I can move on to a higher plane of Christian living. So that sounds more exciting, to be honest. Flavie, you don't lack anything in your Christian faith. You have Christ. He is all you need. Yeah, we say that, but um, I look around at you and your colleague Paul. Uh, he's in prison, right? Uh, well, I'm not sure that's going so well for him. Uh, he's clearly missing out on God's blessing. He must have done something wrong. He's lacking something. And I don't want to be lacking anything. I want a super fast Christian life. I don't want dial-up speed. I want broadband Christian living. Oh, I think I'll get Paul to write you a letter. And here we have it. Uh, so something like that is going on. So as we have read this evening, chapter 2, verse 4. Chapter 2, verse 4, Paul is writing to them, tells them that and laboring for them. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 4, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. So this seems to be the issue. Some were deceiving the Colossians with fine-sounding arguments, saying to them, hmm, you're okay, but you are lacking something, aren't you? You are just a little bit VHS in your Christian living. And we can make you Blu-ray, as they often said in the first century. But you know, the um, uh, we we can fast forward you on in your Christian life. You don't have to live at this level, lacking, missing out. We can go faster. Things can be better than you're experiencing at the moment. And that seems to be the issue that Paul is addressing uh, in the book of Colossians. No one says that's an entirely contemporary message that you might hear. In lots of different ways, in different um, contexts. So some would offer uh, a sort of shortcut to Christian maturity in a, I don't know how to describe it really, a sort of priestly way. So I was at a, a gathering of Anglican clergy, whole, pretty varied in what they believe, to be honest, fairly recently, and engaged in conversation with this one man who, uh, this went back and forth for a little bit, and eventually he said to me in quite agitated terms, you don't understand the power of the Eucharist. Or Lord's Supper, as we might say. Now, I think he was wrong in what he was saying. Also, struggled not to giggle, because it sounds to me a little bit like Darth Vader. Um, <laughs> imagine, Luke, you don't understand the power of the Eucharist. Come with me. It sounded a little bit like that, so I was slightly struggling to concentrate in my own mind. But, um, of course, I, I delight to share the Lord's Supper with believers. It is a wonderful encouragement to us. Christ speaks to us, uh, um, rightly understood, in the Lord's Supper to spur us on our faith. It's a great thing. But I don't think it's a sort of super spiritual shortcut that there's a power that can move you on. And essentially, the guy was slightly justifying his own ministry of being a priest and doing magic over the bread and the wine. be one way. Another way, perhaps perhaps more common, is a sort of experiential shortcut. 
so it was a slightly bizarre eclectic gathering. Uh, I have to go to these things. The uh, recently it was a sort of planning meeting for a youth conference. And uh, one of the guys said, what we need to make happen more than anything else is we need to give these young people an experience of God that they'll never forget. Now, once that's a lovely sentiment. And again, to go to gather with a large crowd of people to, well, some of us will do in a couple of weeks' time, go to the men's convention, thousands of blokes singing, and the music is terrific. That is enormously encouraging. It's great. But actually, I do forget that experience. It slightly fades after a while. But again, I think the guy was slightly justifying what he was doing in saying, I can give people a shortcut to a sort of super spiritual Christianity if I create the right emotional environment and uh, off people can go uh, at super speed. Fairly contemporary way of putting it. Now, Against those sort of things, Paul here is saying, no, Jesus Christ is all you need. And in this passage in particular, he's explaining his ministry, demonstrating what he was doing. And he offers it both, well, there's two things in one sense we broadly learn from this. The first is, this is the sort of authentic, genuine ministry you want to look for and follow. And secondly, this is the sort of way we should carry out our Christian lives in this sort of way. So uh, we're gonna, we don't look at these verses um, in particular. We'll look at them next week. But chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 really are the great summary of the letter. Chapter 2, verse 6. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. Rooted and built it up in him. Strengthen in the faith as you were taught. Overflowing with thankfulness. Continue with Christ. He's all you need. You don't move on from him. Continue with him. So what we have here is a three, I guess, three features of authentic Christian ministry. We should look for these in the people we sort of follow, ministers. We should live out these in the way we relate to one another. Three things. And Paul is wanting to stress, as you see, as you go through the passage, they have fullness. This is a full Christian ministry that gives them fullness of spiritual life. So he'll describe himself as suffering full afflictions, teaching a full word, and actually encouraging full unity. We'll slightly change the last. Suffering full afflictions, teaching a full word, encouraging full unity. First then, the first mark or feature of an authentic ministry is uh, the first. Verses 24 and 29, they slightly uh, bookend this first paragraph. Verses 24, 29, suffering full afflictions for the sake of Christ's body. So verse 24, now I rejoice in what was suffered for you and I fill up my flesh with what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Verse 29, to this end I labor, struggling. An authentic Christian ministry will be marked by suffering, struggling, hard work. That's normal, he says. I'm not sure what Paul would have made of the superstar speakers who fly around the world on their Learjets addressing one crowd and the next. I'm not sure what he would have made of them, really, with the millions they might have in the bank. He'd have been utterly bewildered. No, suffering full afflictions, that's his way. Verse 24, let's look at that first of all. That's the more curious of the two little verses. 
I rejoice in what was suffered for you and fill up my flesh, what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. Something is lacking in what Christ did. It can't be that. It can't be that. That would run, it can't be saying there was something lacking in Christ's work for salvation. That would run completely counter to everything he said so far. So we looked, uh, a couple of weeks ago, chapter 1, verse 13. He, Christ, he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness, brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God has done that. Jesus brings us redemption, forgiveness of sins. Or uh, chapter 2, Verse 13, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins. It's nothing, there's no sense there's anything incomplete. In fact, the whole burden of this letter is Christ is all you need to. He's not saying there's anything lacking in Christ's suffering for redemption. The only thing lacking in Christ's work in the first century was not everyone knew about it. It's the only thing that was lacking. So Paul say, I make up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions by telling people what he's done. The only thing lacking in the work of Jesus Christ is that it hadn't personally encountered lots of different people. Poor example, always a good way to introduce them. But poor example, do you, you see in the press this week, uh, the National Galleries of uh, London and Edinburgh, they bought um, this Titian painting for £45 million, which apparently is a bargain and uh, if it was sold in the private market, it could have got a lot more. Do you see that? A lot more of that? Do you see that in the in the press? Forty-five million pounds, a lot of money uh, on one painting. But it is a masterpiece. Now, have they bought that painting to make up something that's lacking in Titian's artwork? No, it's a masterpiece. The only thing that was lacking in Titian's masterpiece was the fact it was owned by a private collector and um, wasn't open for everyone to see. Now it's been bought by a public gallery, and it is on display to everyone. So the finished, complete masterpiece, only thing was lacking was you couldn't see it. Now you can see it. You see, they've made up what was lacking. And in that sense, Paul makes up what is lacking, a complete, perfect, finished work of Jesus Christ. But if you didn't know about it, no good to you. Once he tells you about it, Perfect. All is well. So did you see the distinction? I put it this way. Christ suffered for salvation. Paul suffered for speaking about that salvation. Do you see the difference? That's what's lacking. You can see that just in the structure of the verse. I mean, there are two parallel expressions there. So verse 24 of, of uh, chapter 1. I rejoice in what suffered for you. I rejoice what suffered for you. I fill up in my flesh what's lacking for you, the church. Two power expressions. He is suffering for telling people about the work of Jesus Christ. That's what's going on here. Now that's very common, I think. If you're a Christian, you should well know it's hard work telling people about the work of Jesus Christ. And there's often awkwardness that goes along with that. Telling people about the work of Jesus Christ, it, re- it requires a willingness to suffer. It requires a willingness to accept 
slight awkwardness in relationships, to accept slight exclusion from conversations, to accept, when you tell some people, anger, downright irritation with you that you would believe such a thing. And Paul would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. When you tell people about Jesus Christ, there's, there's, awkward, there's pain in that. There's suffering. There's affliction in that. Not with everyone. People react in different ways. But if you tell a few people, some will react like that. There'll be suffering in telling people. And then verse 29, he's making a similar point, really. Verse 29. To this end, I labor, struggling or striving with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Genuine Christian ministry will involve struggling, striving, sweating. It's, a, it's an Olympic word or an athletic word, this struggling. It is, you know, it's the 100 meters, and Usain Bolt with the, 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 the veins popping and the muscles rippling, I, as you can, I would demonstrate, you know. The, um, you know, it's that, and the sort of the dive for the line. It's a striving, desperately working heart metaphor. I am busting a gut. My veins are popping. I am at the limits of human ability to endure for you, says Paul. I labor. I struggle. How? How, verse 29, with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. That's how he keeps going. Question. Where do you see the power of God at work in the world today? Where do you see the power of God, the miraculous power of God at work? Paul's answer? In Christians who are laboring really hard to serve him. You see that? Verse 29. To this end, I labor, struggling with a little bit of help from God. No. I I labor, struggling. Let me know the thing I get a little bit of it. No. I labor, struggling with all of his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Do you want to know the power of God in your life? Do you want to have the power of God rippling through you? Then work hard at serving him. Struggle hard at that. Strive at that. Be prepared to suffer for that. God's power is at work in those who struggle, strive to serve him. It's very, very discouraging sometimes. You have conversations with people and you're talking about all sorts of things and you listen and essentially, you realize, okay, what you're saying is, Essentially, your life is framed or geared up to make life as comfortable for you as possible. Then, what are, your, what are your plans for the next five years? Oh, do this and this and this. Okay, you just want to make life easier, comfortable, pad things out. A um, bit more money, a bit more space, a bit more of this, a bit more of that, a bit less of the things which are awkward. Comfort, comfort. By contrast, here's Paul saying, you want to know the fullness of God's power, you work really hard and prepare to suffer for it. Strive. Bust a gut. And some of you know that really well. And some of you know that really well in your own lives. There are many here who are working a full-on, full-on job at work and work is, is, is demanding. But you get out of work and you go and meet with someone one-to-one who is struggling in the faith and you meet with them to encourage them or you go and meet with someone before breakfast you have breakfast a power breakfast 6am power whatever it is uh, you have breakfast early morning breakfast with someone just to encourage them 
because uh, actually at the moment they're, they're really on fire and you think, you know, I can help you, shape you, to push you on in the Christian life. And some, you know, are exhausted but are committed to serving, so turn up at something when actually they're zonked after a weekend away. But just because, and sometimes you sit on the tube and you've met with someone and you're getting home at half ten at night and you think, I am really tired. I don't think I can keep going like this. And you might not be able, you know, maybe wisdom, you may need to change. But often, you think, how have I, I don't know how I've managed to keep going this week. I don't know how I've managed to meet with them and do that this week. The answer is the power of God working through you. God's power is at work when we're working hard to serve him. So suffering full afflictions for the sake of Christ's body, that's the first and our longest mark of uh, authentic Christian ministry. Let's go to the second. Teaching a full word. That's Paul's uh, second mark of uh, genuine Christian ministry. Teaching a full word. Let's pick it up at verse 25. I have become uh, its servant, the church. I've become the servant of the church by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. I want to give you the word of God. What does it mean to be a servant of the church, Paul? You just teach the word of God in its fullness. You give them all the word of God. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. See, the false teachers were probably saying something like, we've got new messages for you. We can push you on. And Paul says, no, no, no. What I taught Epaphras and what he taught you, that's the full word of God. That's what you need to move you on to maturity. If you're holding a deck of 52 cards, and you're doing impressive shuffling if you can do such a thing, (laughs) you've got a deck of 52 cards, and uh, someone comes along and says, hey, do you want a little game, a cheeky little game of uh, pontoon or poker? Just for small things, you know, just for pennies, just a copper game. Oh, okay. You just need to add these 10 cards to the pack. Mm, no, I don't think so. 52 is a good number for a deck of cards. That's the perfect number. You add 10, you're dodgy. You're some kind of card shark. And Paul is saying much the same thing here. You have a full word from God. What are you trying to add to it for? Adding? Mm, that's a bit dodgy. There's something not right going on there. They're a Bible shark, um, spiritual shark. Uh, they want to manipulate or d- delude you in some way. You can have a full word from God here. And then Paul piles on the terms. Let's read on. What does the word of God in its fullness look like? Present the word of God in its fullness. Verse 26, it's the mystery that's been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So piling on of terms. It's like, I'm going to give you the word of God in its fullness, which is... And uh, slightly, he, he takes his time. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations. Hopefully, you know, that's a, that's a technical New Testament word. 21 times Paul refers to the mystery. And it's not a mystery, really. It's an open secret. The mystery of the New Testament is that Gentiles can become believers on the same level as Jews. Jews and Gentiles can be united in Jesus Christ. Before he came, that wasn't obvious, although you could have worked it out in the Old Testament. Now he's here. That mystery's been blown wide open. Just a technical word referred to as mystery. Have you heard this story? The uh, story's told, probably untrue, but um, hey. The story's told of uh, a lecturer uh, in theology and uh, setting an exam paper just before Christmas. And the question is, what is the mystery of the New Testament? And a student in buoyant mood uh, writes on his exam paper, a very short answer to his essay, 
No one knows the mystery of the New Testament but God. Happy Christmas. Very irritated examiner simply writes on the paper before giving it back. God gets a first, you get a fail. (laughs) Happy New Year. (laughs) Because the mystery isn't complicated. Jews and Gentiles can be united in Jesus Christ. But he builds that up and says, they may know the glorious, verse 27, the glorious riches of this mystery. And then really the climax comes in these two terms. Christ in you, the hope of glory. If you're a Christian here tonight, Jesus Christ lives in you by his spirit. That's extraordinary. Do you remember, I mean, uh, Matt Lloyd made reference to it at the beginning. When it comes to creation, the one who, by whom all things were created, for whom all things were created, in whom all things hold together that were created, lives in you. The one who is sustaining your heartbeat at the moment, the one who makes sure that gravity is the same today as it was yesterday and will be the same tomorrow, the one who makes the, the, the earth revolve around the sun, him, he lives in you. What do you think you're lacking? What are you lacking? What more do you want than God himself living in you by his spirit? That's extraordinary. That is extraordinary. Actually, it's the only reference to the Holy Spirit uh, in the whole of the book of Colossians, which in and of itself is unusual for Paul. But he doesn't actually say the Spirit lives in you. He says Christ lives in you. And probably that's because the, the false teachers were saying something like, yes, you begin with Christ, but then you move on to greater experiences spiritually. And Paul is saying, no, 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 you begin with Christ, you continue with Christ, and Christ is all you need, and Christ gives you his spirit. It is the spirit of Christ that dwells in you. That's an extraordinary thing. And yet we just take it for granted. I mean, that is extraordinary. God lives in you. And we just say, yeah, 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 yeah. I learned that 15 years ago. It's extraordinary. You just don't appreciate the value of that. Do you know, remember, The Lord of the Rings, the first film? Um, uh, The book and the film are a bit different on this, so it depends if you're sort of highly geeky and know the book quite well. So let me just refer to the film and just bear with me if you think, oh, that's not right, I'm a Tolkien expert. Yeah, I know. Um, There's a point in the film, they're going uh, underground, they're in the mines of Maria. If you've never seen any of this, just run with it, okay? the, uh, the heroes, the Fellowship of the Ring, they're in the mines of Maria, and uh, they get attacked by, in the book, orcs, in the film, by a big troll. And uh, this tro- the, the main hero is Frodo, he's the ring bearer. This troll charges at Frodo and yabs a spear right through him. So Frodo is thrown against the wall, clatters, smashes back. No! Slow motion, no! And uh, everyone's distraught, and they beat up the orc. I always do this for fighting. I must stop doing that. <laughs> they, they, they crush the, or, uh, the orcs or the troll. And, um, and they run over to Frodo and they all just assume he's dead. And, there's a <coughs> and he's battered and bruised, but he's alive. And Aragorn says, how can this be? No boar could have withstood that, with, with, withstood that spear. And Gandalf says, there is more to this hobbit than appears. And, uh, and Frodo gets a bit of strength up and pulls open his shirt. And he's wearing a vest of mithril. Which is an unbelievably rare metal. Light as cotton. 
stronger than hardened steel. It looks like diamonds glittering, and the dwarves were specialists in this. So Gimli the dwarf says, Some of you just did that with me. That's amazing. You really, you really know the film. Gimli the dwarf says, Do you not know what that is? Bilbo gave it to me. It's quite nice. That is mithril. That vest is of more worth than the hold of the shire. It is priceless what you are wearing. And that is the reason you're alive, because it can withstand spears from trolls. Oh. Okay. So for all this time, for, you know, for the whole of this quest, Frodo's been wearing this thing. He just thought it was a vest. He might have gone to M&S, but he got it from his uncle. And he's been wearing this vest. And under, within his garments, he's had this thing of unbelievable value in what it is and what it can do. And we live that way as Christians. To the point. We live that way as Christians. The Spirit of Christ lives in us. And that is... He is of unbelievable value in who he is and what he can do for us. And we think, oh, yeah. oh, okay, just take it for granted. That's extraordinary that God would live in us. And I don't know what it takes, an orc charging us to make us realize quite how wonderful that may be. It's an extraordinary truth. How can you say that you're lacking something when Christ lives in you? say that. Christ in you, and he's the hope of glory. It may well be that these false teachers again were saying, you're lacking something, you can have glory now, to which Paul is wanting to add a little bit of balance. Jesus Christ lives in you by his spirit, but glory, that's in the future. Christ within you now, glory then. Oh, you can have grace now. Oh, there's grace for your sins now. There's grace to keep going. There's grace to keep growing in the Christian life. Oh, there's always more grace. But glory is then. But because he is in you, you have the certain hope of glory. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. You're not lacking anything, says Paul. So no wonder he can then say, verse 28, we proclaim him. He is the glorious riches of God. So we talk about him, and we don't get distracted by um, the mysterion of the Eucharist or whatever. We don't get distracted by, woo experiences over here. We want him. We want Jesus. Because he is the one who dwells within us, and he is the one who gives us power to live, and he is the one who has power to change, and he is the one who guarantees that we're going to glory. We proclaim him, says Paul. Briefly, three very quick truths about proclaiming him. That is the route to First, that is the route to perfection or maturity. So verse 28, we proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so we may present everyone perfect or mature in Christ. Not absolute terms, not 100% terms, and that waits glory. But movement, progression. When we proclaim Christ, we expect people to mature. Second thing, when we proclaim Christ, look, this is for everyone. Verse 28, we proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. There's no spiritual elite in a church. We become Christians on the same way, we, we progress 
in Christianity in the same way. We mature in the same way in Christ. There's no secret or mystery. I got something through the post this week uh, uh, in the office, and it was a leadership course. And it it slightly sounds cheesy when I say it out loud. It was very well produced, but essentially it said, do you want to be an ordinary leader? There is ordinary leadership, and there is prophetic leadership. Come along on our course in prophetic leadership, and we will give you the keys to unlimited blessing in your ministry. Well, that sounds nice. Um, what do you talk about? The keys? And you've got them? No, 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 no. There's no secret body of material that you can only get if you make so much progress. We're not Christian scientists who reach operating thetan level and then become super... It's for everyone. It's just basic truths for everyone. Christ for everyone. He's the root of maturity. He's for everyone. But proclaiming him, verse 28, requires admonishing and teaching. That's not just something that I do, or people at the front do, or Bible study leaders do, or certain people do. Just flick over very quickly to chapter 3, verse 16. Chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. It's what we're to do to each other. Teach and admonish. We're meant to proclaim Christ to one another. Positively, teaching. Negatively, if you want to put it in those terms, warning, admonishing, in love, in kindness. We'll come to this in a few weeks when we look at it. But very kindly saying, that's not right. And none of us like that. Everyone wants the positives. That's very nice. But admonishing. I had a guy come up to me this week and say, I am furious with this church, which always excites me as an opening line. And, uh, okay. Okay, why? That man over there has just been highly critical of me. Oh, okay, well, what's, what's he done? He's quite a good guy. I'm, I'm surprised at that. He came up to me and, and said, can I have a word with you? I, I wonder, he said to me, he said to me, he said to me that I was critical. And he said to me that this was a pattern he'd observed in lots of interactions with other people. How dare he say such a thing? He's not perfect. Let me tell you everything that I've observed him doing wrong. No, don't do that. Um, how dare he? He's not perfect. No, he's not. But he's quite a good guy. And I, I, I would imagine he did it kindly and gently and thought he was being helpful. Do you think, you, you, do you think there's anything in what he said? Do you think you could be described as critical? You're the same. You're just as bad as him. You're another one having a go at me. Just wait until I go and tell other people how critical this church is. It's slightly ironic, isn't it? Anyway, but um, he didn't seem to get that. He didn't just go, I'm going to go and criticize. But people don't, some people just react very badly to, you know, knowing that man, knowing who that man is. I'd be surprised. He's a fairly gentle soul. You know, like admonishment. Paul says, no, that, that's required. If we're going to move to maturity in Christ, it requires teaching of Warning, admonishing. But do you say, just trying to draw these strands together, 25 to 28, do you see a full word, verse 25, the word of God in its fullness, a full word results in chapter 1, verse 28, full maturity or perfection. If you want to be mature, if you want to be fully mature, you need a full word from God. 
And you have it in Jesus Christ. You have it in the scriptures. They'll be teaching, they'll be admonishing. That is how it is. Fullness of word leads to fullness of perfection. Let's do one more very very briefly. So these three features of authentic ministry. First, suffering full afflictions for the sake of Christ's body. Second, teaching a full word. Third, let me twist this slightly, change it slightly. Teaching, sorry, encouraging full unity. I think it's maybe a better heading than assurance. Encouraging full unity in Christ. Very briefly. The, uh, let me just read uh, uh, chapter 2 and uh, verse 1. I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose, okay, this is going to be important. He's telling us what he's doing. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Do you see how this works? Very striking. My purpose is that they may be, these are synonymous terms, encouraged in heart and united in love. And what do you get if as a church you're encouraged in heart and united in love together so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding? So if you want to experience the full riches of Christ in your life, that comes from being in unity with other believers. And my poor complaining friend who was very upset is not going to get the full riches of Christ or, or experience them or embrace them if he's a spiritual loner. And nor will you or, or nor will I. It's when we're in unity with others that we receive that. Do you see how it works? In fact, do you see how the full passage works? It goes a bit like this. If you present a full word of God to people, then you get fullness in Christ. That will produce a full unity of heart. And then you have the full riches of understanding. You see that? That's how it works, really, from 25. Full word of God, full maturity in Christ, full unity of heart, full riches of understanding. So if you want to enjoy those... Begins the top, really. And if you want to give people a full word, a full word of God, there's suffering involved. We could take it back a step further. <laughs> fully willing to be afflicted, then you'll give people the full word. Then you'll get them fully mature. Then there'll be full unity. Then they'll experience the full riches of knowing Jesus Christ. You can break that chain at any point, and of course it happens. But my, as we finish, look, my my longing for us as a church. And my longing for this congregation, that this church, this generation would be one where people look on and say, wow, you're, you are willing to experience suffering for the sake of Christ. You, you're willing to be given a hard time. How, how do you do that? Answer, because the power of God is working within us. I long for us to be a congregation or a church where people say, hey, look, you, you, you seem to be quite mature in knowing Jesus Christ. You seem to understand him quite a bit. How does that happen? Answer, well, because we make sure that when we gather together, we fully admonish and teach one another with the full word of God. I'd long for us to be a congregation where people say, hey, look, you, you seem to know a richness in Jesus Christ. You're excited about him. Yeah, that's because of the unity we have together as we dwell on God's word, 
teach, admonish, because we're willing to go through stuff. We're willing to suffer together. Do you see how it all comes together as a package? These three authentic marks of Christian ministry. This is what you want to look for in a church. This is what we want to display ourselves. Willing to suffer full afflictions, teaching a full word, encouraging a fullness of unity. And that way? Well, that way we'll enjoy the full riches of Christ that we have. If we continue with him, keep going with him, suffer with him, for him, teach him fully, be united around him. Other things will divide us, but united around him. Then there's riches and richness in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, how liberating to know that Jesus Christ is all we need, that we don't need to add to him. How wonderful to know that he lives in us by his Spirit. And he lives in us to change us, to transform us, to, to move us to maturity. And so, Father, we pray that knowing those things, we'd be willing to suffer for him. We'd be willing to teach and admonish one another with the fullness of your word. You would give us great unity and therefore great joy in the richness that we have in him. We do ask in his wonderful name. Amen.